Let's go to God in prayer. God, we thank you so much for today that there's air in our lungs and that we get to spend that air on you, singing your name, your greatness, your renown. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing to you. O Lord, our rock and redeemer, amen. All right, friends. This morning we are going to be in John chapter 5. Cinco for those who understand Spanish. Um, my kids are learning Spanish in school, so they're teaching me. And so anytime I get a chance to practice, I try. So, so John chapter 5, verse 1 through 14. Hear the word of God. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Say that ten times fast. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, somebody else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up. Don't lose that. He commands him, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Now, all of that is pretty straightforward until this next line. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. And so they said to him, Who is this fellow who told you, you or told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Now later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away 
and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Pretty sneaky. So when you go to the movies, which I'm sure some of you do, are you the person who always figures out the ending long before it ever comes? Are you able to solve the mystery long before the details are given? Are you the reason why we have spoiler alerts? Mike Tomaszewski? I'm assuming that you are. Now this is why, once they started making all the Marvel movies, I went in media blackout uh, in the first 48 hours after it would come out. And at this point, um, I was living in Nebraska, and we lived near Offutt Air Force Base. And the cool part about that was their day was over before my began, and they had movies at 8.45 a.m. So I didn't have to go out and fight the crowds the night where the movies would come out. I would just simply wake up, have a casual breakfast, saunter my way to the movie theater, have any seat that I wanted, and I got to watch my movie uninterrupted. It was beautiful. I miss it so much. Because now I am forced to go to the premiere nights if I don't want it to be spoiled. Which means anybody who has kids knows after eight o'clock you're just a different person. And sometimes, like for instance, when this Ant-Man movie comes out, I will begrudgingly be there probably at 8.45 p.m. just so I don't get the spoilers. Because there's very few times where I'm surprised when I go to the movies. And it's kind of funny because it's a joke in our house that I call them films. And I will say, I will say, dear wife, I would like to go see a film. And she goes, you're going to go see a Marvel movie, aren't you? I hardly classify that as a film. I was like, well, Fast and the Furious 16 also classifies as a film, right? I try to make it sound more sophisticated than it is, but I love attending films, and I really appreciate a great original story. And so very few directors can sneak anything by me when I'm at the theater, because I have a keen eye for Easter eggs and subtle references. And that was until I watched a few movies by a guy named Christopher Nolan. You may have heard of him, you may have seen some of the films. He made The Prestige, he made Interstellar, he made Inception, the three best Batmans that we have, and little, little, little known he made Superman too. And the thing that I love about Christopher Nolan is he's a non-linear storyteller, which means if you like things that are straightforward, you will be frustrated, um, whereas I love how he weaves things in. And it isn't until the very end where he drops like the aha on you. And it's so much fun because I never see it coming. And to this day, and if you want to go to Panera and argue with me, I have a theory about the movie Inception that I will defend until I'm an old man. And the token stops 
spinning. For those of you who have ears, let them hear. So I think, um, because I've sat stone silent um, as these credits have rolled, rethinking my very existence and how I might have missed it, I feel the same way about the Bible. I've always mused on the saying that the ancient rabbis had about the scriptures, that they are like a diamond. And it goes like this. Turn it and turn it again, for all is in it. See through it. Grow old and worn in it. Do not budge from it, for there is nothing that works better than it. And this morning, we get to stare at this diamond just a little bit, and hopefully we're going to see something new today. And this is how we need to look at John 5. We need to turn it and turn it again to catch all of the Easter eggs and subtle references. We open up and we see a man who's been unable to walk for 38 years who's sitting by a pool of water. As legend has it, an angel comes down to the pool and stirs the waters. There's a mad dash to the pool. People start pushing and shoving to be the first one to get in because there's a promise that perhaps they might be healed. But this man wants to make a move and he can't. The first person who makes it, however, emerges ecstatic, claiming healing, and the rest of the crowd, shoulders drop. Because they didn't make it. So later on that day, as you can imagine, feelings of desperation settle in. Sadness, longing, he missed it again. The sun goes down and time passes. The whole city is buzzing. There's a festival going on, but nothing has happened at this pool for some time. The crowd is thick, but there's eye contact made. A man is approached, or sorry, the man is approached by Jesus, a stranger to him. And this man asks, do you want to get well? The paralyzed man assumes Jesus is just another concerned, well-meaning bystander. So he drops a few excuses. Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. The scene cuts to Jesus saying, get up. Everything cuts to black, coming summer 2023. Excuses to be poolside. If we look at this like a trailer, it only tells a part of the story. And oftentimes we get these little pieces without the context, and it causes us to jump to conclusions or spin theories 
about what might be pulling these things together. But luckily, with the scriptures, we have the screenplay right in front of us, so we know what they don't. So in John 5, 1, we learn that this story takes place during a feast of the Jews. It's not specific at all which one it is. And I spent a good two hours trying to figure it out, dipping into calendars and doing all this fun Hebrew stuff, and nobody has consensus on which feast it is. It could either be Feast of Weeks, Tabernacles, and it's like there's seven of them, and it could be three of the four, or three of the seven. But what we need to understand is it was one that was based in Jerusalem, and it was a time of celebration. So Jesus approaches this man during the feast time. How many of you like missing out on parties? I don't. I don't like missing out on parties at all. If, there's a, if you have a party and I hear about it, even if I wasn't invited, I'm like, I wish I could have gone. That would have been fun. So Jesus approaches this guy during feast time, and so there's all these emotions that are probably at play here. And this is in Jerusalem. All of the religious leaders are on hand. So that means there's an audience. So word about Jesus has been spreading. So it's not like people don't know who he is. But he isn't quite on everybody's lips yet. And this pool, a thing to remember, it's called Bethesda. So not like Bethesda, Maryland, but like Bethesda in the sense that it means this. House of mercy. If you've ever seen pictures of stuff in Israel... Jerusalem in particular, all that kind of stuff comes to life. It is further described as a place where there are five covered colonnades. Colonnade is a fancy word for porch, right? Five covered porches. And the, and the usage of those is to provide shade for those who are there. And this is where everybody is gathered. And there's this pool there. And it says that, uh, it was massive. So we're not talking like your backyard swimming pool and Jesus just, or that, not Jesus, but the Spirit comes and just does one of these in your backyard swimming pool. We're talking about like a boys park wave pool sized pool. And here's what's cool about it. It was actually split into sections. There was a southern section and a northern section, and the southern section was fed by water from the north. And why is that significant? It's significant because this was what was called a mikvah bath. Say that, mikvah bath. And here's what's, why that's important. That is where people went and did their ritualistic cleansing when they were doing stuff at the temple. Okay, so... Now that we have a few details, some things are starting to come into focus. What is also very interesting is that it's, it's, it's mentioned that this pool is near the sheep gate. Now, obviously, what goes through that gate? Sheep, right? So <clears throat> what's really important about that, but those aren't just any sheep. It's not just like 
hey, we have a special HOV lane for, for animals. This is the place where animals that were used in temple sacrifice moved in and never out. It was one way in. So do you kind of have this scene put together in your mind a little bit? So let's now add in that piece of the context that we didn't get in the trailer, that it's the Sabbath. All of this stuff becomes way more important because of this one detail. It changes everything. It adds a special weight that we didn't feel when we read through it the first time. Because ritual bathing, that mikvah bath, that's considered work. So guess what's not happening today when this interaction happens? The pool is empty. Nobody would be caught dead doing something like that on the Sabbath. Especially one that's around a festival. So that would be considered like a high Sabbath, right? Like a very important one. But nobody refuses to leave. Because at any moment, because it wasn't predictable, an angel could show up and stir the waters, which is not, not far-fetched, considering that it's a festival. Guess who else is there? the religious leaders, and they're watching. They're always watching, aren't they? Gle gle uh, uh, whatever the word would be, looking at you. <laughs> um, so Jesus approaches this man. We now have this weighted understanding of the question he's about to ask. Do you want to get well? But yet there's cynicism built up in this guy's being. He blames everyone else for everything that's wrong with him. He internally could potentially be wrestling with years of disappointment, having nearly broken him. In his heart, he scoffs. How can I be at this place called House of Mercy when there's no mercy for me? And don't forget the part about being left out of the party. There have been days of feasting, people interacting, celebrating. How can he participate? In his heart, he's suspicious of this guy who walks up to him. Is he just a tourist? Why is he asking me this question? Of course I want to get well. It's kind of dumb. Why would you say that? And then Jesus cuts through this man's thoughts and his excuses and says, get up, take your bed, and walk. Now imagine, the pool's empty. You don't have the sound of water. You don't have the, probably the sound of people talking. So Jesus is doing this in full view of probably a lot of people. Jesus puts himself out there. And we know it's a lot of people because as soon as he does it, 
he drops a smoke grenade and disappears like Batman into the crowd. And he's gone. He heals the guy and then he disappears. So this man who was longing for a cure received physical healing. But we learn he wasn't made completely whole because later on when Jesus finds him at the temple, what does he say? He says, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And what he's really referring to is you stand, uh, you're standing on the tracks and the train is coming. And if you don't deal with your sin, it's not gonna be good for you. So, how many times have we experienced this kind of mercy? This type of grace, this deliverance from anything that we've been carrying around for upwards of 38 years. Jesus removes the barrier. How quick are we to forget that grace sometimes? Perhaps we might even be tempted to think we had a little bit to do with it. Or even worse, we can ignore that warning that Jesus gives and go about our lives as if nothing ever happened. And here's the thing. There's a term that has like kind of risen up to describe Christianity in the modern age. Tell me if you've heard it. It's moral therapeutic deism. Million dollar phrase. But basically what it means is Jesus is like a big cosmic genie or Oprah and just really cares about us living our best life. Right? It's all he wants for us is to be good, live our best life, that kind of a thing. And that is something that has become prevailing in our culture. Everybody wants the healing. Nobody wants the warning. Everybody wants deliverance. Nobody wants obedience. Everybody wants to work for the weekend. Nobody wants to do the hard work. Now, we could read this story through that lens. Jesus cares about this man's suffering, his loneliness. He wanted him to live a fulfilled whole life. He wanted him to be free from the suffering. He wanted him to join the party. However, if we only see it that way, then we are reducing Jesus to a cosmic genie. And this is oftentimes where everybody wants the story to end. Wasn't Jesus kind and loving? That Jesus. That fair, soft-skinned, you know, soft-handed Jesus. Wasn't it amazing how he cared for his physical needs? But in this story... Jesus is doing more than we could catch. There's Easter eggs 
and subtle references that if we don't dig deep, we will not see what he's really doing. So the point after this healing where it's revealed that it's the Sabbath is a game changer. It changes how we view the whole thing. He's healing on the Sabbath on purpose. Not just any Sabbath, but a high, holy Sabbath. He picked this guy on purpose. There is a, they, they consider it a multitude, which is more than the people in this room. Of all the people there, Jesus chooses this guy. He picks the location on purpose. The house of mercy actually got to experience real mercy. The pool lived up to its name. He knew the religious leaders would be watching. So much so that not only does he heal the man, but further on in the discussion, when they get into it, he says, I am doing the work that my father has been doing. He makes a claim of divinity, which Sabbath violation, and then claiming that you're God, religious leaders, totes mad. So this is not just a feel-good story, although it is a radical example of grace and mercy. But he's also turning everything upside down. Do you remember when your life was turned upside down? Do you remember when Jesus extended the invitation to you, do you want to get well? Maybe you remember what it was like to wrestle with grace in the presence of the king of the universe. Undeserved, unearned, unmerited, yet lavished, which is a really cool word because it means spared no expense. Drenched, like you went on the Pittsburgh plunge, and covered protected. Do you remember that? Do you remember verbalizing excuses about why you can't fully follow him and leave your sin behind? Do you remember when Jesus cut through your excuses and declares your freedom because of his work on the cross? Do you remember that? Do you remember how he swallowed up death? Do you remember how the grave couldn't hold him? With all of that power and authority, he says to us, get up. Leave your old life behind and walk with me. Amen.
Let's pray. I bet you could hear a pin drop at that pool. And here we are this morning in a similar house of mercy. Perhaps some of us wrestling with some of the things that this man wrestled with. Perhaps we just simply need to be reminded of what we've been delivered from. Or maybe we're hearing this for the first time and we didn't even know that we were sick. We trust that in all those circumstances, God, you are at work, just like your father was at work. And that you spare no expense, your own life, for our freedom. Give us the grace, the wisdom, the creativity, and opportunity to live into this message and share it with those around us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.